0: Let's talk about why most small businesses don't work and what to do about it. Welcome to the Thought Bistro Podcast with Akhil and Vishram as we deep dive into a variety of interesting and thought-provoking topics. Join us as we explore the world of ideas and broaden our collective horizons.
1: You know, as pompous as our topic for the day sounds, it is not our statement. It's the statement of the book we are reviewing today. So it's our second book review. And the book we're reviewing is called E-Myth Revisited. It's a book by this fellow called Michael E. Gerber. And this guy has helped numerous businesses set themselves up. And he primarily focuses on American small businesses. And, you know, the first time I read this book, it was kind of a goldmine to me. I don't know how well implemented it would be in practice. However, the way they talk about it, the way the experimented businesses talk about it, and the way new entrepreneurs talk about it,
0: it has been a phenomenal part of their journey. I think it definitely starts you thinking in ways that you don't really start thinking on when you think of starting a business. Just a few key ideas. I think it sort of just drives you to look at things in a perspective that You and I, if we were just sitting and trying to talk about starting a business, wouldn't. And it very clearly distinguishes the roles of people in a small business. So let's start everybody
1: off with a story so that everybody can connect with what we are talking about. Let's say there's this accountant. And this accountant, one day she wakes up and she says, Man, I'm so good at my job. Why am I working for this other company? I should start my own company. And after deciding that I'll start my own company, quits her job, because the job has been grinding her, and starts her own thing. Next day, she gets some customers, and she's happy about it. The customers are growing. She now has 10 customers, and life is going well. But she has to do this, you know, staff-related work. She has to do this work where she has to organize when her meetings are going to be, she has to organize who her clients are, and... All of this is not what she signed up for. She's an accountant, right? She wants to practice accounting. So she hires her first staff member. This new staff member is responsible for all of this setup and all of her meetings, kind of like an assistant. She's all happy. Everything is going well. So she decides, you know what? I'll get a marketing agent as well. So she signs up a marketing agent. Now, the staff member is using Excel, using her own systems, using her own organizational skills to set up whatever in her own language. The marketing guy is using his own proprietary softwares, his own softwares to find sources, find pipelines, and trying to get more orders. Two months later, the first staff assistant that she hired leaves the job. And another month goes by, and this marketing guy is not getting anything for her, so she fires him. Now, there is this conundrum she runs into, where everything has been set up in Excel in a way where she does not know what ha- what is going on. And all her pipelines and all of her contacts are in this software, which she does not know how it works. And now the work that was grinding her at her job and giving her a stable income has become into this nightmare where she needs to give 150 hours a week, which really don't exist if you think about it. And she has to do work, which she hates while getting a bit of work which she loves. And just everything is a mess. She's holding her head in her hands and thinking, what have I done? Why have I done this? And this is a general entrepreneur's
0: journey. So I guess this leads us into the first couple of concepts that are mentioned in the book. The first being what one can refer to as entrepreneurial seizure is what this woman is going through at the end of it all. Now what entrepreneurial seizure is, is realizing that you have made an assumption that if you understand the technical work of the business, you understand a business that does that technical work. Here is the distinction that Gerber makes in the book. He says, what your business does is not what your business is. You have to understand business and what it is trying to do as two separate facets. It's two very distinct things and you have to make sure you are able to compartmentalize those in those different boxes or however you like to compartmentalize things. So essentially, he says that the reason you start a business is the reason that this woman has started a business. She loves what she does. She's good at it and she thinks, you know, I can do better. Why am I giving my time to a big company who is paying me minimal salary when I can just do better going off on my own? The mistake that she is making here is that she is not accounting for all of the extra stuff that comes when you're running your own business, which is beyond your technical expertise. I think the major thing here that there's a difference between owning a business
1: and owning a job. The way people go about setting up a business of their own acumen, of their own talents, and trying to exploit what they've been doing for their company is
0: that they set up a job for themselves. So Gerber gives a very interesting story to explain this distinction. I'm sure all of you have this conundrum that you wake up in the morning one day and you look at yourself in your bathroom mirror and you go, I am fat, I have to stop eating, I have to get healthy. That very day, you go to your fridge, you clean it out, you take out all the unhealthy foods, you set up a diet chart for yourself, you set up a workout chart for yourself and you're extremely motivated. First day, you're motivated. Second day, you're motivated. The third day, it starts raining. And you say, okay, I'll skip my workout today. Let's see what happens. That is where that skinny person within you who was motivating you to lose that weight, to eat healthier, to you know get to that skinny self that you imagine yourself being goes away and that fat guy comes back. So he says, we all have those dual personalities within ourselves. Similarly, when starting a business, You have three personalities which are fighting against each other. He's termed these the entrepreneur, the technician, and the manager. So who is the entrepreneur? The entrepreneur is the one who is the visionary. He is the one who has the big dreams. The entrepreneur is the innovator, the strategist, the creator of new methods of penetrating or creating new markets. The world-bending giant like Henry Ford or Tom Watson or Ray Kroc. The technician, on the other hand, is the doer. The technician loves to tinker, he loves to take things apart, put them back together. Things that aren't supposed to be dreamed about, things that aren't supposed to be done. The entrepreneur lives in the future, the technician lives in the present. What about the third, you ask? The manager, the managerial personality, Gerber says, is pragmatic. Without the manager, there would be no planning, no order, no predictability. So if I had to put it in a way, the entrepreneur is the future, the technician is the present and the manager is the past. The entrepreneur sees
1: a bunch of tools and imagines, oh my God, I should start a car business. The manager goes, grabs those tools, puts them in their separate boxes and stores them away so that you can get to the tool, the right tool, whenever you want without any waste of time, very efficiently. And the technician just goes to those boxes, picks up those tools and starts building a car, whether he knows how to build a car or does not know how to build a car. You know, the technician just goes to work and decides, you know what, I'll learn on the job and I'll just build the damn car. And then the entrepreneur goes ahead and thinks, oh, what about the next version of the car while there's just scrap sitting there? You know, this is, this is kind of a summarizable example of what is happening. And the manager is just pulling his hair, thinking of the entrepreneur and saying, man, you need to stop you know, I can't organize at your pace, you keep running ahead. And the technician is just telling them, you know what, just let me be and do my thing. Stop putting my tools in the right place. It's like this messed up room, right? And your mom comes in, picks up your clothes, picks up everything and puts them into place. And then you're like, Oh, my God, I knew where everything was just stop bothering me. Right. And that's the relationship between these three people. And while the entrepreneur will just think, you know what, let's get a bloody bigger room. Let's get an iPad let's get a PlayStation 6 even though there's only 5 out right now you know that that's that's the beauty of these three personalities the funny thing is all three personalities exist within one human being
0: it's not three different people that we're talking about it is one person who has these three personalities within them and every time they think of starting a business They have to make sure that these three personalities can coexist and not fight each other and lead to the demise of businesses. And I think this one person is you. Anybody
1: listening to this podcast, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, even the people who do a job, they are 100% technicians, right? But there's always that 1% or 2% scope there where somebody dreams and that dreamer is the entrepreneur. And there's always that 2 to 3% inside you, which is just, you know, organizing your files on your laptop, thinking I'll get to them faster. That's the manager. It's always there. You just have to, to start this small business revolution in your life, You just need to tinker with those percentages a little bit. You know, become the 10%, 20% entrepreneur. Become the 20% manager. Let the technician take a break for some time.
0: There are always those times when you're frustrated and you think, "Oh, I can do a better job on my own. you know, i I can make this business better." That's the dreamer within you. But then there is also a voice in your head which says, "Are you stupid? You really think you could do this? You're at a big company, you're you're at a stable job. Just shut up and do your work. That is your manager. He is the one who is being your pragmatic self. He's the one who's being practical. And then there is a third part of you who goes, Shut up, the two of you. I just want to do my work. I'm enjoying. I love what I do. I'm enjoying what I do. And I just want to keep doing it. And that, my friends, is the technician. So Gerber states that typically small business owners are
1: 10% entrepreneurial, are 20% managers, and unfortunately are 70% technicians. And what happened is the 10% entrepreneur in that accountant lady shouted, let me have my own company. The 20% of the manager set up a little bit of the system and then the 70% just took over the business, took over all the decision making of the business and suddenly all she was thinking of was how do I practice my accounting and once the technician takes over, the business starts looking at the company from the wrong direction. It starts building from the present, presently I have these many people and I have this much business, and where does it go from here is towards this cloudy future, which, you know, it will unfurl itself as I get there. Gerber says that a better way would be to let the entrepreneur in you take control of the reins of the business. Have the vision of what I look like in the future, and then come to the present, and if present doesn't look like it's going to get you to that crispy, clear future that you have in your brain, then you have to change the present accordingly. And I think that is something that is very relatable to by a lot of entrepreneurs here, because in the initial stages of a company, all you're doing is trying to pick up the baby from the floor and trying to keep it alive and trying to keep it breathing and trying to just, you know, get it through thinking of getting out of this infancy of the business. However, during that infancy of the business, maybe have a little bit of idea about, yeah, 20 years down the line, 10 years down the line, 5 years down the line, where do I see
0: my business? I'm sure all of you have seen the movie The Founder. You know, the McDonald's story. You know Ray Kroc. You know the McDonald brothers who started the first little chain which impressed Ray Kroc beyond his, you know, wildest dreams. But why is it that it was Ray Kroc who became the founder of McDonald's and not the McDonald brothers. It is for this exact reason. Ray Kroc had the future in his head. He knew what he wanted to achieve. Whereas the brothers were very happy running a small hamburger joint, which was efficient and which was able to churn out hamburgers at a rate that no other drive through no other drive-in, no other restaurant at the time was able to.
1: So the brothers there were the technicians, right? They wanted to serve tasty hamburgers that's their that was their aim and luckily enough they came across this system that they developed and that was their business and that's what ray Kroc found that's what the founder of mcdonald's discovered that this system is scalable the system is something that i can give to other people who can have mcdonald's or themselves his business was not the burger his business was McDonald's itself. And that is the core concept of this book that we've been trying to build to for so long. Every book has this one massive idea, which is very life-changing. Right. The idea that behind this book is called the turnkey revolution. So McDonald's calls itself
0: the most successful small business in the world. Can you imagine that? McDonald's, something that has an outlet, what, every 15, I mean, within 15 minutes of everybody in the US? I think
1: it's even faster than 15, man. It's everywhere. You can go, you can walk two blocks and there's a new McDonald's. They're opening up all the time. And they're so simple to open, right? And the idea behind turnkey is you turn the key and you have a business to yourself. We'll tell you everything what you have to do. We'll tell you where you get the raw material. We'll tell you how you keep it. What fridge to buy, what ovens to buy, we'll give you everything. Spend the
0: money and you have a business to yourself. So this is what the book calls the business format franchise. Now the business format franchise says a very simple thing. It says, don't just provide the franchise with the trade name. You know, just giving something the name of McDonald's. I'm going to refer to the movie again because just visualizing this is easier. When Ray Kroc initially starts franchising, what does he see? In North Carolina, McDonald's is doing barbecue. In Texas, they're selling, you know, wings. McDonald's doesn't do that. You know, you go to a McDonald's, you're going to have a cheeseburger, a Quarter Pounder, a McChicken. You know what you're getting into when you go to a McDonald's. You don't even have to look at the menu. So therein is what the business format franchise says, is that you don't even just lend the name but also with it, provide it the entire system of doing the business. The strategy of you know, making the hamburger that efficiently, everything. Everything is provided to the franchise on a platter. And all that person has to do is take that platter and utilize it. That person just has to turn the key and therein they have a franchise up and running without them having to put in any thought whatsoever.
1: Now, the idea is not to have every business as a franchise business, right? The idea is to have every business set up as if it was going to be a franchise business. Let's say you have a manufacturing unit and let's say you manufacture slippers. Then your slippers need to be consistently the same everywhere you're manufacturing them. The same quality, the same materials, the same feel, and your brand has to come in with the single slipper that you're going to sell to the customer. And the customer is at the center of it all. Because you have to build your company around the customer and not the way you want it. McDonald's, when you go there, you get a burger in a minute and a half, two minutes, and it is magical. And it is no longer magical because everybody followed the McDonald model. Like when you talk about any big chain, you talk about Subway, there's a procedure, there's a setup, and that's what they're following.
0: So every McDonald's, as you see, looks the same. Every Subway that you see looks the same. It has that same counter with the same condiments, the same sauces, the same vegetables, the same cheeses in the same places. I mean, it is stunning. You know, I think uh, I'm remembering this line from this Bradley Cooper movie where he was a chef and he went to a Burger King and made this comment saying that, you know what, why people don't enjoy eating at these places? And his partner says, oh, it's because of the cheap cut of meat or something like that. He says, no, it's because of consistency. For chefs, consistency is the death of food. But therein is where businesses are completely the other way around. Why do chefs only run one restaurant? For businesses, for any person to have a successful business, consistency is key. You want your product to be consistent. You know what you're getting into when you order a McDonald's cheeseburger. You know what you're getting into when you buy a Ford You know, these are things that are standard. You know that wherever in the world you are, they are going to be the same. So outside food, if we
1: are to look outside the food industry, anything that is massively scaled and anything that you wish to set up as a business needs to come with its own set of rules. And those set of rules should apply to any replica of your business. So there's this very good example in the book where there are two the two of these guys, right? And these guys make some sort of widgets. Now, when they're developing these widgets, initially, everybody is doing everything. Like both of them, sometimes somebody takes up the accounting, sometimes the other person takes up accounting, sometimes somebody is making a call, the other person is, they're sharing workload, they're taking over each other's roles in the business because the roles are not very well-defined. Slowly, slowly, they start selling a little more, a little more, and they have to hire a person, right? And then the third person comes in, again, everybody sharing the workload, and they miss an order. The first one. And that then the first order that they miss sets up a tone for a lot of confusion in the future. Who's responsible? When you discuss the responsibility, you don't know. And suddenly, everybody's pointing fingers at each other because nobody knows who was supposed to be responsible for something like that, right? Therein comes the major idea of a business. So Gerber, being the consultant to the firm, sits down these two fellows and says, firstly, develop an organizational chart for your business. And how you do that is, at the base level, define all the roles that are required in your company. At a manufacturing plant, Let's say you have a machine that does the production. So you need three operators on that machine. Other than the three operators, you need two people to market the firm, one for your business to business marketing and another for your business to consumer marketing. Then you need one person to do the accounting for you on a day-to-day basis. Now you have these six people that you have established. Now see, above them in the chain, is there a position that can oversee them. Oversee multiple of these roles in one go. So over your three operational people, you put in one person who overlooks operations. You can call him the chief operational officer. Over the accounting part, you have one person who oversees the accountant. You you can call him the chief financial officer. And over your marketing two people, you can call the person the chief marketing officer. CMO, CFO and COO. And overseeing all three of them, you can call the person a CEO or chief executive officer. Now you go ahead and you fill just the two of yours names in all of those positions. And you have to decide who the CEO is going to be. And therein comes the responsibility part. Suddenly, you see one of us is better at accounting than the other, and you write their name in in the absolutely low spot where you're just the accountant in the firm. You write all of your names in the three operators. You write your own names in the marketing positions. And you see who is going to do what and who is going to take responsibility of what. Once you understand the depths of those roles and once you understand what those roles do and how they do it, you jot it down in a manual. And in the manual, you have each individual role separately defined and step-by-step instructions of
0: what that role does this is not saying go out and hire a bunch of people we're not saying you know these people have to go and hire six different employees to fill the different positions this is more about understanding this is what my business needs today if i have a machine take akhil and i for example we are you know operating in turn we have to allocate okay this is when Akhil is going to be operating it, or this is when I'm going to be operating it. You have to make these distinctions very clear. I think what Gerber tries to say through the entire book is that in your organization, in your business, wherever you are, even in your house for that matter, you have a chore chart. There are going to be people responsible for certain chores, and who is looking up, who is the supervisor? It's usually your mother or your dad. You know, you have... That accountability, if someone's not done their chores, they are held accountable for it. It is only when there is no accountability or there is no defined thing for who is doing a certain chore on a certain day is when things get left behind or when, you know, you're just standing there pointing fingers at each other like that Spider-Man meme. The other part of this
1: puzzle is once you have a manual prepared for each position that your given business requires, Then you can move on to start hiring people in those positions. Once you have the lowermost positions filled out, they know exactly what they need to do and step-by-step instructions of how they need to do it. And then you both, as the owners of the company, can move on to the new positions in your company, kind of like a promotion that you get in a corporation. The aim of this is to replace yourself completely out of your firm and make your firm a living, breathing organism of its own with its own systems and where the firm can by itself retain customers
0: and acquire new ones. Think about it like raising a child. Initially, you're doing everything for your child. You're feeding it, you're making it, you know, you're teaching it how to walk, you're you're teaching it all these different skills. Why are you teaching it these skills? You can just do everything for it its entire life. You don't want that, right? You want your child to be capable of doing things by itself. So similarly, you replace your child with your business and it's the same thing. As you go higher and higher up these positions or higher and higher up this organization chart, as Gerber calls it, your business is becoming more sufficient. It's not requiring you to be there for the day-to-day needs It doesn't need you to be standing over it with a cane in your hand or with a spoon to keep feeding it or to keep monitoring it. It becomes sufficient. Your child grows up. It doesn't need you to be around that much.
1: The borderline concept is having each position defined in a manual. Each lower level, each upper level position and the CEO position as to what they do, how they do it step-by-step instructions of doing it so that you can hire a novice to come in, you can hire a completely inexperienced
0: person to come in and perform those jobs immaculately. I'm going to take you back to McDonald's. Now, those of you in the US may be more familiar with this than India at least. Who works at a McDonald's? High school students, college students, people who are looking for a temp job. They're not experienced cooks. They don't know how to cook, probably. Yet, they're able to make these immaculate burgers. Why? It's because of this definition. It's because of this clarity that McDonald's provides each of its workers, be it someone who's at a cash desk, be it someone who is taking your drive through orders, be it someone who's making hamburgers, be it someone who is just cleaning. Each person has a defined role. You go into a McDonald's, and you're never going to see the person who is cleaning tables come, back, come around the counter and take your order. It's never going to be that way. And I think the main thing that you achieve by doing this
1: is if I want to set up another one of my company, I already know how many people it needs. I already know what those people do. I know what my company looks like. I know what exactly my output is going to be, what my input is going to be. I just need the exact amount of money then, right? And now think about think about scale. If I were to sell my corporation to somebody else, I can tell them you just need a little more capital and you can keep cloning this company one after another after another. You can set up 5,000 of these if you want to make it into a billion-dollar corporation, if not more, because I have my systems down. And since I personally have worked in each of those lower-level positions, I understand exactly what can go wrong. I understand how to fix these wrong things. And I understand it very well, my whole corporation, from
0: down up. It's not just about cloning it or making it a billion-dollar company, even if you want to keep it just that one. You know today that if any person leaves and a new person comes in, there is going to be minimal transition time because that person who is coming in is coming in with that clarity of thought. They, do, they know exactly what is expected of them. They know what their responsibilities are. They know what their job is. There is no confusion. There is no, oh my God, I have to do, you know, I have to learn the, the way this organization works or something like that. You are coming in for this role. I am giving you the clarity of thought that today If you leave and someone else comes in your position, there is no learning your system, learning the software you use, nothing like that. That person knows what they're getting into from the word go. That learning curve gets diminished. It becomes even more important for a
1: small business which utilizes minimum wage workers because minimum wage workers have a huge turnover. What that means is minimum wage workers join your firm and they leave within a month or two in a place like Canada. Because being a minimum wage worker, you know it is a transitory position. It is a position where I am going in for a little less pay than everybody else because I am looking for an opportunity for more pay. And when you're going to have such a high churn of labor, when you're going to have such a high turnover rate, is when you need these positions very very deeply defined. And you don't have infinite amount of time. A person cannot keep coming to you with the same problem over and over again because a new person will face the same problem. So there needs to be a reference material book for him, a reference material module for him online somewhere, maybe on your website, maybe in like an employee handbook. And that can make all the difference to your life.
0: Because if you do replicate your business, if you do scale, you're not going to be in all positions. You can't be in two places at once. You can't be in three places at once. So you have to think like you are scaling the business. Whereas scaling it is not the important part. Scaling it then just comes down to a point of whether you want to do it or not. You don't have to think that, oh my God, to scale my business, I have to do X, Y, Z. You have to make your business in such a way that scaling it is just that monetary value that you have to get. So now the thought process behind, you know,
1: I am a baker and I am going to bake in my bakery needs to switch to, I am a bakery owner, my bakery shall produce these goods, they need to be of very high quality, what is the process for me to get to these goods and what is the process for me to open 5-7 to bakeries
0: where I don't need to sit in either of them? The point comes down to it that if you are opening a bakery, you should have the vision that within a given period of time, you are no longer required to bake in that bakery. You can bake in that bakery if you want, but that is purely out of your own choice. You are not going to be forced to go in and bake because your system will be set up in such a way that whoever you hire as a baker is able to replicate the goods that you want to produce to the same quality that you would. You
1: know, I have this, this is kind of off-topic, but I have this discussion with so many people when they ask me about investments. And I generally advise them to save up this much money. And, you know, investments can be a whole other topic of discussion for us. And I'm sure we'll get around to that topic. We definitely will after setting up some base level fundamentals for people such as interest rates and inflation, which is are other topics. However, whenever I give them their retirement plan, at the end of the day, I tell them that money will flow in without you having to do anything. The question is not filled with excitement as to I won't have to do anything. The question is generally filled with, then what will I do? If my business is automated, My if my investments are automated, if the monetary part of my life is automated and I'm getting returns, I won't have anything to do. What will be my existence worth? That's not how you should view it. You, you should view it as I can do anything. <laughs> and that's the that's the gist of this. If you can automate your small business to be replicated, to be run by itself without your involvement, that is the biggest achievement you can have. And post that, the world is your oyster and you can do anything.
0: I think it is basically getting to a point where working, not working, doing what you love becomes a thing of choice rather than a thing of necessity. And that is what the e-myth is trying to get you to That is what Gerber is trying to get you to and that is what we've been trying to explain to you. So hopefully we've been able to get through to you and we highly recommend you read this book to which we will provide the requisite links. It is a very thin book, so I definitely, definitely recommend all of you, whether you own a business, whether you sit at home, whether you are doing a job, just read that book because it is something that can be applied not only for entrepreneurs, but just for people in life, I think if you define what you have to do every day in life with the clarity with which Gerber asks you to, you will notice that life in general becomes easier and things just flow the way they have to rather than, oh, I'll take it as it goes. Also, as a final disclaimer, we are not sitting here trying to be
1: gurus on how to open a business and how to run a business. These are the thoughts from the book and I think they are very logically explained and very well reasoned with. And all we've gone through is the fluff of the book. It's just the froth on top of the delicious milkshake that e provides. So please do go through the book. From our last episode of the book review of uh, The Tipping Point, my sister actually set up a book reading session with three of her friends. And they decided that, yeah, we will go through the book together. And I think if we can cause that kind of a book reading revolution where all of you are able to read books, get some knowledge out of that, you know, that'll be accomplishment for us as
0: podcasters. Oh yeah, definitely. And guys, this is something we've said episode upon episode. We're not sitting here as experts. We're sitting here as one of you who just like to voice our thoughts and who like to have conversations. So come get in touch with us, critique us, tell us what you agree with, tell us what you don't agree with. I think we would like to hear what you don't agree with more than what you agree with because both of us enjoy a spirited debate. And let us you know influence each other to do better in life and you know let us help each other out and with that we're going to be signing off thanks for tuning in to another episode of the thought bistro podcast i hope you enjoyed today's conversation and were able to learn something new if you like the episode please be sure to subscribe to our show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app you can also follow us on social media our instagram and twitter handles are available in the show notes thanks again for listening and we shall see you in the next one